This episode of the Can't Do It As podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. Whatever your breakfast needs are, McDonald's got you. For me, I love the breakfast platter. There's just something satisfying about getting un poquito de todo. You feel me? Like, why choose one? It's the perfect solution for breakfast indecision. I mean, let's talk about what comes on the plate. Ya tu sabe, them fluffy scrambled eggs, the warm biscuit, the crispy hash brown, your choice of protein. Some people love the sausage. For me, my favorite, it comes with dessert. The pancakes with the little syrup drizzled on it. Mm. Now question, do you like syrup only on your pancakes or the whole platter? Never mind. That's another conversation. But for now, if you're thinking breakfast, think McDonald's. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Now that you heard from one of our sponsors, let's get into a quick teaser of this week's episode. My authenticity has really only come to the forefront in the past three years, and it's taken a wild turn because in those three years or five years, I have essentially come out. I have start, I have a trans non-binary partner. I am, I've gotten my tattoos. I have my purple hair. I have my piercings. I have my, all the things. And it's because all of a sudden I felt empowered to be able to do these things, but it took me almost 40 years to get there. And I don't really, like my deepest hope is that, like what I want is that nobody else has to go through that. Like yeah. withholding yourself from authenticity for that long, Oh my God, in retrospect, I'm like, how did I even pull it off? How did I survive? Mi gente, dímelo, 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 what's up? Welcome to another episode of the Quien Dueres podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know it's your boy, Pavel, bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. As a reminder on this podcast, our mission is to redefine professionalism. So every week we have a new guest join us for vulnerable conversation to explore the conflict that they have often faced between professionalism and authenticity. Speaking of guests, the clip that you heard in the intro is with this week's guest and Bono. Before getting into the full conversation, let's give you a quick little bio on her so that you have some context going into it. Anne describes herself as an accidental marketer, corporate executive, and and multi-potentialite with a smart mouth and willingness to shop what most will only quietly think. She spent much of the last two decades working in marketing for startups and large organizations and based on her prior experience in those spaces is now on a mission to get the business world to focus on the humanity of their teams and put people over profits. She is loud, proud, heavily caffeinated and tattooed and usually not safe for work. Now that you have a little bit more context into who Anne is, let's get into the episode. Before we start, I think it's important to acknowledge we had our wardrobe changed, didn't we? We did have our wardrobe changed. We sure did. Why did you decide to take off the sweatshirt? I decided to take off the sweatshirt because one of the most important things that I have come to realize about my existence, especially in the corporate world, is that visibility of people that look like me matters. And it's been particularly confirmed in my latest role. So 
I am, I have recently, I'm almost, I'm almost into two month, month three of a new role as the VP, Vice President and Director of Growth Marketing at Penguin Random House, and which is an incredible opportunity. And we can get into why in the world I went back into corporate after I left it in a blaze of glory. But one of the things that has happened, even in the short time that I've been there, is I have gotten multiple messages from folks, even at, at an organization that is as inclusive as diverse, as equitable, as PRH, saying, oh my God, seeing you and how you show up and how you present and how you look, let me know there's a space for me here. Let me know that I can do things here. Let me know that I, I can advance. And so as we started talking, I was looking at my own self, self view, which God, I hate looking at my own self view in Zoom. I'm like, it's distracting, but I realized, no, no, I need to be visible because that is honestly, when it comes to the corporate space, one of my greatest superpowers is showing up authentically and giving folks that agency of authenticity to be like, I exist here. You can exist here too. My existence in this corporate space is neither hampered nor predicated by the fact that I look how I look. And which is, by the way, I think it's lovely and it's my choice and I love how I look, but it's often been a detriment. And so, yeah, as soon as we, as soon as I saw myself, you, I'm like, you know what? Nope. We're going to, we're going to flash the guns. We're going to flash the chest hat. We're going to do this because it's important for people to see that if you look like me, you can exist in a corporate space and not just at the lower levels, you can exist at the executive level and be valued and seen as a valuable contributor to that, to that executive level. So yeah, we had a wardrobe change. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Just very impromptu. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I was very intentional when I launched this podcast to put a face and a name to a lot of these stories and experiences because I was so tired of like you would see these like research studies, for example, and it says um, Latina VP says that she received microaggression or Latina VP. And it's always like I'm like, who is that Latina VP? Who right. is that? anonymous person that they're quoting mm -hmm. in these articles like I felt that it was so important to put that representation to be very visible I mean all of the workplace experiences if you think about it at least in my experience either go untold or where they are told they're told anonymously right it always says mm -hmm. anonymous employee or on Glassdoor right so I I appreciate you just being very um intentional about how you want to you know show up and that brings us into like the first question that I always ask, you know, around authenticity, right? When we first think about it, I think many people think about it as the visual, but there's so many facets of us that go into it, right? So, and it's also just such a buzzword these days. Like what the, what the hell does it mean to you? Like what comes to mind when you hear that word? Holy crap. That is equal parts. My, one of my favorite questions, I was just asked this recently. I'm like, Ooh, Mm -hmm. But also it's such a layered questions. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like ogres and onions. It has layers. Um, to me, authenticity is showing up as yourself without, you can still show up as yourself with fear, but you hold, you show up as yourself, show up as yourself without reservation. So, because it's scary to show up as yourself, it's terrifying to show up as yourself. Now, even if you are part of the, of the, of the accepted, you know, norm. It can be really scary to show up as yourself even, but to, to be authentic is to embrace yourself fully, 
and show up as yourself, knowing that by doing so, you're doing two things. Number one, you are essentially telling people, if you can't take my heat, get out of my kitchen. And not in a bad way, but it's like, you get me, you get me. It's what you get. And you will get this from me no matter what. So you can expect this from me 100% of the time, 10 out of 10. This is me. But at the, on the other side is also giving, and, we t- and we, I just mentioned this, but to me, being an age, it's not enough to show up authentically. The next part is that agency of authenticity, which is you are actually giving others permission to do the same. And you show up authentically and you, it's, it's showing up as yourself, knowing that you are giving permission to other people to do the same, knowing that you are giving a voice to other people that either look like you, act like you, feel like you. I am Latina, I am queer, I am tattooed, I have purple hair, I am neurodivergent. I live in the intersection of so many things. And that comes with some privileges, but it mostly comes with disadvantages. But when I, when I show up authentically, I can not only call attention to the disadvantages, I can enhance the privileges, and then I can make space for others to live in that authenticity with me. And that is, to me, the greatest gift of authenticity and the greatest value of authenticity is that ability to, you show up and authenticity expands with you. Like you make room, you make room by doing that. And it's why, it's why the wardrobe changed, right? It's why, because I'm like, okay guys, hey, look, look at me. I exist in this space. You can too. You can too, because I am making that space for you and you can make that space for yourself and others. Well, and, and thank you for sharing that. And it's funny because someone asked me the other day, it was like, why did you choose the word professionalism? Like, why did you want to redefine professionalism? And I said that professionalism and same with executive presence, they're, they're very generic phrases that people throw out and they don't really have a meaning behind it or like they don't, well, they do actually have meaning behind it, but they don't use the actual meaning. They have this perception on what it is, right? And they're, they're able to like, exclude people from it based on their own perception right Mm -hmm. but it's interesting like you said so many powerful things in that explanation of authenticity one I thought was really powerful was this permission to be yourself tell me about you growing up did you feel early on like you had permission to be yourself no (laughs) no um I really really didn't and it and it happened in retrospect, like thanks therapy, but in retrospect, <laughs> thanks therapy, but in retrospect, I realized that I never really felt I had permission to exist as myself until very, very, very recently. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm talking like last three years recently, wow. right? And I'm and I'm 41, right? So this has been it's been my my whole life. Uh, so no, I I never really did. I think so. A couple of things that will help put this into context. So I grew up in Guatemala. I was mm-hmm. born and raised in Guatemala. So I lived there until I was 18. So right there. And so, and so again, let's call a spade a spade. Guatemala in the 80s and 90s, and even before 1980s, 1990s, for everybody who's really, really young and thinking that I'm really, really old, um, in the late 20th century. But in general, Guatemala is a very patriarchal, patriarchal society. It's very, it is not particularly in- inclusive or embracive, certainly not of of queer folk, but women, I mean, face a tremendous uphill battle there. And so even just growing up there as a girl, as a female identifying person was, was 
you you have to you follow a very specific set of of social mores and norms. So I never wanted to wear pants. I, I never wanted to wear dresses. I always wanted to wear pants. I wanted to have like weirdly colored hair. None of these things. And I did some of it and none of those things were ever really accepted. I was always, my mother would say this thing. Uh, again, thanks therapy. I've realized how crappy this was. But my mother would say this thing whenever she would see me come out dressed like I wanted to be dressed with like baggy pants or whatever it was. She'd go, oh, you look like you just stepped out of a magazine. And it's interesting because on the surface, you think that's a compliment. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And it was because she was coming at it from a very specific point of view, a very Latina old school. We're in Guatemala. Our, our yeah. national religion is Catholicism. And we right. say what we do what the men say. So even from that perspective, but I, uh, I mean, no, I like I've never really felt that I was able to be authentic until very recently. I'll give you another example. In retrospect, again, I only came out a year ago as queer. Um, and, but I have known again in retrospect that I have been gay for a very long time, mm -hmm. but I wasn't embracing that because I get it's a lack of authenticity. Like what are, what I, you know, what's gonna happen at work? What's, what's gonna happen with my friendships? What's gonna happen to, I, I, I've been married to a man before. Is that going to invalidate who I am? It's where, like the levels and layers that come from all of that. So I really, my authenticity has really only come to the forefront in the past three years. And it's taken a wild turn because in those three years or five years, I have essentially come out. I have I have a trans non-binary partner. I am, I've gotten my tattoos. I have my purple hair. I have my piercings. I have my, all the things. And it's because all of a sudden I felt empowered to be able to do these things, but it took me almost 40 years to get there. And I don't really, like my deepest hope is that, like what I want is that nobody else has to go through that. Like yeah. withholding yourself from authenticity for that long, oh my God, in retrospect, I'm like, how did I even pull it off? How did I survive? Like, how did yeah. I do that? Right, it's, it's a big deal, like it's, yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. tell me, tell me about. It sounds like there were a few moments, potentially, or maybe a moment, re very recently, where you were just like, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna start, <laughs> I'm gonna start being myself. I'm gonna stop faking it. What was it for you that gave you that empowered feeling that you mentioned? You know what's so funny? It was the pandemic. Um, not funny it, was, it happens to a lot of people it's a it, reckoning moment it's it was a reckoning it was a reckoning and I think interestingly for me what it was is I was we were all sent home right at the beginning of 2020 and all of a sudden what happened we weren't around other people anymore like for a long time we weren't around other people six nine months like I know that for the most part I didn't really leave my house for 2020 like I just didn't like once I started, I was kind of like, okay, we're here. We're here forever. This is what, this is our new future. This is our hunger mm -hmm. games. We, we, are, we are now in the house for eternity. But for me, what that almost lent was a, oh, I, I don't have to dress a certain way anymore. Nobody sees me from the waist up for, from the waist down on zoom. Like I don't have to be wearing like heels, pants, like that are fancy. I don't have to, I don't even have to be wearing a nice shirt. And that was kind of the beginning of it. I was like, I don't, I don't have to play pretend. I don't have to 
be on. I don't have to find ways to fit. I don't have to. What people need from me right now is to show up, be supportive, lead a team and keep shit together. That's what they need from me. It doesn't matter how I look. It doesn't matter how I dress. It doesn't matter. It almost doesn't even matter how I how I talk as long as what I am doing and talking and saying is rallying people together, bringing them together, acting like the psychological net safety net that, that we all need right now. And from there, it was kind of, um, it, it was almost like a, like a, a downward spiral sounds negative, but it was almost like an unraveling of sorts where I'm like, oh, I don't, why do I have to, like, why do I have to wear shoes when I work? Like, what do, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was almost like, I don't have to do any of these things. I can be comfortable in myself and be massively successful at doing that. And all of these things were just trappings. They were trappings of a, but they were though, they were trappings. Like, why do I need to wear makeup? Who is it actually benefiting? It's not benefiting me. It takes 20 minutes of my morning every day. I mean, if you love it, like if you love it, wear it. Like if yeah, it's your vibe, yeah. do it. If your vibe is suits, do it. I've had people who tell me, no, but I feel good in suits. Then fucking do it. Like what yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah. is when you find yourself doing things because you feel like you will be taken more seriously if you do, or you will be taken uh, or you will be respected more if you do, or if you will, like if it's for anything other than I feel comfortable then you stop doing it, stop doing it immediately because it is not serving you, it is serving others. And typically what it is serving is a fucked up power structure. Mm-hmm. So that, so like, and it was, and the, the pandemic kind of brought that to a forefront because I was at the time leading, I had literally at, almost at the beginning of the pandemic, I got promoted to VP of marketing and acting CMO at the, the, the organization I was at. Mm-hmm. And my role became holding things together with both hands. It, it didn't like I was immediately having to. So I was new in a role. We were going through like a merger of teams. I, so it was this whole like amalgam of things. And my role became hold things together with both hands, keep people from leaving, hold them close, walk them through basically the destruction of the world as we knew it. Who the hell cares if I wore a tank top to a Zoom meeting? Are people okay? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, are people fine? And that's what it showed me is like, it's a, in, in fact, what I found is that by me showing up authentically, vulnerably, like transparently, what that did was that it broke down all of the barriers of quote, unquote, what you would, what most would call professionalism. And what it built was a team. Yeah. It built a team because we lost the trappings of expected power structures and professionalism. We were just now one-on-one and we didn't have to work within anything else. And yeah, it it was just the the pandemic. It just, it, it kind of took a giant bazooka and blew it up for me. And I'm like, okay. And now I don't ever show up to anything other than feeling comfortable. And you know what I have found? I've actually done better. Of course. Like I've done better. But it's, but it's, it's like, I think it's worth for people to hear this because it's like, you will do better when you show up as yourself in your most comfortable authentic way because at that point the people that bring you in and surround you and hold you close are the people who are embracing you at your whole self and you never have to worry 
if I show up as myself or if they find out this thing about me, what's going to happen? You don't have to worry. And so you're able to do your best work, your most unencumbered work. You're able to be authentic for your teams, hold them close, grow them, love them, you know, be with them in a way that would be unprofessional otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Something important that you mentioned was, and I think a lot of people don't quantify this because we do it so like unconsciously like it's just part of our everyday routine where we don't stop and think like oh shit no this is a time commitment right like I don't think we often calculate the opportunity cost that comes with assimilation code switching whatever you want to call it right for Uh example when I was deep into it I would legit dedicate hours out of my week to study white popular American culture so you brought up an interesting point around, yo, there's nothing wrong with expanding your preferences. For example, like Seinfeld, I love Seinfeld. Like right. The Office, love The Office. I got put onto that somewhat by coworkers, right? But that's me finding out about something new, testing it, seeing if I like it, deciding if I want to continue. I like it, let me keep watching it. But other times I didn't like the show and I watched it and binge watched seasons of it, right? just to be able to feel relatable when someone brings it up at work, right? But that's a time commitment. Imagine very simply, if instead of binge watching a show I didn't care about, I was actually doing a work that would help me get promoted. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and, and that's a big thing that I think people don't often think about. Like, tell me about for you, it sounds like whether you were thinking about it or not, you were wasting time, right? Um, and you brought up a few like funny examples that I'm laughing about now, but at the time, we're probably not that funny, right? Like traditionally feminine things, right? Like makeup, you wore heels. Like, mm-hmm. did you do your hair a certain way? Like, tell me about to what extent were you like assimilating in corporate? So many ways, so many ways. So I was spending, so, all right, let's just go through like the, the personal, what I call personal maintenance, right? And keep in <laughs> mind, I'll tell you who I am as an actual human being. Like I am a person who hates showering. Like I just do, like I'm the Brad Pitt. <laughs> I'm the Brad Pitt of corporate because it's a waste of time. I love how I feel after I'm clean, but to me, showering is a gigantic waste of time. I'm like, oh my God, can we just Jetsons this? Like I wish that I could just walk through a door, wrong, clean, done, right? So I, this is, all right, so, but keep that in mind, right? I'm the person who hates showering, hates brushing their teeth, but will do it because cavities, like, but here I am every morning, showering, doing my hair. My hair is much shorter now and I like, but it used to be down to my waist. And so I, really? was, I yes. And, and so I had to like dry it and it wasn't the kind that would dry nicely. So I had to like work at it. Right. So here I am showering every morning, hate showering, drying my hair, like straightening it, doing all the things, 20, 30 minutes. So shower 15 minutes, hair, 20 to 30 minutes, makeup, 10 to 15 picking out outfits. By the way, I am one of the most unstylish people you have ever seen in your life. My style, when I feel really comfortable, is like Sandra Bullock and while you were sleeping. So it's like really baggy jackets, like kind of ratty t-shirts, sweatpants and shoes that don't match. That's where I am. It works for me. It works for me. But, but here I am analyzing like on Instagram, being like, all right, what's, what looks good? All right. Oh, cute little jackets. All right. Where do I buy that? Okay. I don't know how to wear that. Oh, skinny jeans. I should wear skinny jeans. Okay, what goes with skinny <laughs> jeans? Heels, what color heels? Booties, I don't like heels, so maybe booties. Like, oh my God, 
And so, so now just in the mornings to get ready, we're talking an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. Multiply that by 52 work weeks. I can't do them. It's like, it's like, what is it? Five times 50. So 250 hours a year that I am sitting around putting on and then add things like, oh, I, well, I should make it so that my eyes pop more. So let me go get fake eyelashes. Okay. So that is, so listen though. So then, so now that's every three weeks, an hour in a chair, getting eyelashes glued individually to my lashes, plus the money to pay for it. Plus it just snowballs and skyrockets and, and all for what? So that I would be taken seriously when I walked into a boardroom, because more often than not, I was the only brown female face in that boardroom. And so I had to be taken seriously. And the way that I needed, the way that I needed to present to be taken seriously was by having the fake eyelashes, the makeup, the dress, the, the dress, the blah, 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 bullshit, bullshit. All of it to be taken seriously for what? At what does my brain wear eyelashes? Is that what makes it good? Do my ideas wear makeup? Is that what makes them powerful? Right? Does my contribution need high heels to be taken seriously? It, none of these things are true, but it's it's the visual input of what my output should be. It's, do you think you were? Do you think you were taken seriously even with all of that? No, no. Tell me about that. Well, there's something to be said when, and let's call a spade a spade. There's something to be said when the men in the room feel like they can talk over over you no matter what you look like or what you're saying. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said. And most of the time I was the woman in the room. Now there've been a there've been exceptions to that, to that, but most of the time as a woman, in tech, I was usually the only woman in the room at, at an executive level. Um, and there's something to be said when people can just, and men and women will do this, but it's mostly men. They feel they can just talk right over you, verbally step right all over you. Uh, you know, like you want to pull a, a Maxine and be like, reclaim my time. I'd like to reclaim my time. But even if you did reclaim my time, they'll give you 30 seconds and then they'll keep talking. They're basically just waiting for you to finish talking so that they can continue their thought process. There's something to be said when you are the expert, the subject matter expert in a room saying a thing that is valuable and then somebody interjects with saying, but I read a blog post that, bitch please, really? So no, I don't, I don't, I don't think I was, sometimes I was like, let me preface this by saying there were definitely occasions in which I felt seen and I felt valued and I felt heard, but in the grand justice scale of things, they are much, like it's light that that thing is light and more often than not to be completely honest by I felt tokenized like I felt like the reason I was in some of those rooms the reason I had been elevated to certain spaces the reason that I was because I provided a very nice visual for the rest of the masthead and whether that's the case or not that is very much how it felt because if I'm looking around and the only person who looks like me, talks like me, thinks like me is me, why aren't there more people like me? Oh, because I'm the one, I'm that person who's supposed to lend that to this particular group of individuals. Yeah. And so no, like I, I never, like sometimes I did feel seen and taken seriously, but for the most part, no, definitely not. Well, that was the thing for me, right? Because I was at this point 
maybe it's very similar, but I was doing all of the like, you know, the, the routines and the getting ready and the buying of the outfits. And I'm like, oh, if I do all this, then I'll be accepted. Right. And then I had this moment. I was like, wait, but I'm still, I'm still not. And then I was like, well, if I'm not, then I might as well be myself. Maybe. Correct. Cause like, they're still going to treat me the same. I might as well not even try it. But then there's this, although there's a lot of like, there's like a liberating feeling during the pandemic of people just not giving a fuck. There's, Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that there's not fear. Right. Because you for so long, as you mentioned, you were the only woman in the room. You, you held, you were the only insert many identities in that room. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, I love the, even the visual of this onion having so many layers being pulled back. Right. And finally starting to reveal themselves. And I get this question often. It's like, well, how do I be myself? And I, and I give people the advice, start with one thing at a time. Did you, did you do it all at once? Like, what was it for you? Like, how did you start embracing authenticity when you were finally ready? Before Anne answers that question, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. COVID-19 moves fast. And now you can too. If you feel symptoms, even if they're mild, you should test fast test positive and at high risk for severe COVID-19, then act fast with authorized oral treatments that can be taken at home and must be taken within five days from when symptoms begin. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too by asking your healthcare provider if an oral treatment is right for you. Learn about a treatment option at treatcv19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. Oh, that's such a good question. So let me let me actually kind of recognize something that you said, because I think it's, it's so worthwhile. So one of the things that I do, uh, one, one of the ways in which I try to kind of bring about systemic change in a corporate space is I do leadership coaching. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I often tell my clients exactly what you're saying, because they'll come to me and typically they bring me a very specific situation like, oh, I'm having a hard time with this with this teammate and they're not doing this and I need to figure out how to say it. And so we'll figure out what's actually happening underneath. And, and oftentimes it's a, okay, we're not giving directed a feedback or we're not like, it'll be any number of things. And they're like, and I can see the tension kind of rise when I say, so you need to do this. And what I always say is exactly what you said is, okay, we're not going to jump right into having an entire 60 minute one-on-one with your teammate to tell them all (laughs) the things that you think they're doing wrong. We're not going to do that because it's, it's, you're going to freak out. You're going to pass out and then we're going to get nowhere. So what you're going to do is you're going to practice saying one constructive thing in your next one-on-one and it's going to feel scary. You're going to know that it's going to feel scary and you're going to lean into that scary and recognize that feeling and honor it for what it is. And then the next time you're going to do it again and it'll feel less scary. And the next time you're going to do it again and it'll feel less scary. And eventually you do it so much that it just becomes second nature. And then you can add a, another piece of feedback and then you can add another piece of feedback and you do this incrementally so that eventually the fear is recognized, but it no longer hinders. You can still, have, that's the, the other important thing to remember is it is rare the person that goes into authenticity without fear. And it is rare the person that lives in authenticity without fear. I live in constant fear. It is just what happens. Like I, like I may not recognize it anymore as fear. I recognize it as, oh, it's the thing that I feel whenever I'm doing something new. Ta-da. And, you know, I also eat a lot of CBD. So there's that. But <laughs> it's just, 
I do. We do the things that we need to do to manage our anxiety, right? Like we do the things that we need to do to manage our anxiety. But but it's very much what you said. It's you just lean into the fear. You recognize it for what it is. You honor it. And what I tell folks is the fear is telling you that you're doing something significant. It's not telling you that you should stop. It's telling you that what you're doing is important enough to you that you feel scared about what happens if you do it, but also scared about what happens if you don't. So lean into that fear, recognize it, honor it, do the damn thing anyway. It's like riding a bike. You're going to fall down a lot and eventually you're going to be cruising down the highway and it's going to be fine. So just do it. And it's important for people to recognize that because for me to answer your question, it's hard for me to actually remember what it was. I remember that for me, the first thing that I did that felt like I was leaning into myself and leaning into my authenticity was getting this sleeve tattoo. And originally, and in classic and fashion, I never do anything half fast. I either do it like whole hog or I don't do it at all, right? So I originally had just like this like small tattoo here, this flower here. But I really wanted to have like what I thought was flowers all over my arm. And I, and I went to see an artist for a consultation and he's there and he's looking at my arm and he's like, he's like, well, you know, I mean, what do you think about doing? I was like, maybe flowers, maybe birds. I don't know. What do you think? And he goes, you know, you could just do a whole sleeve and like, and, and I'm like, yes. Okay. Like it just, because it immediately, it spoke to me and I'm like, oh, all right. And then I said, and he's like, okay, great. So, and he's not understanding that I am going through like layers of internal turmoil. I am literally having a mental break, a nervous conniption in, internally talking to this guy. And he's like, okay, great. So let's book a time and a date. And I'm like, and, but I went through with it and I did it. And that was step one. And it took like, I think it was three, four months or something. Cause you know, people are like, oh, is this a six month sitting? Six, six hour sitting? I was like, oh, no, no friends. No friends, no. this was 30 hours, this was 27. I have my whole back done. That took a year and a half. No, no, it's not like getting licked on by kittens and it's not taking <laughs> three hours. But, but there's, that was, the, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, but there's getting the tattoo and then there's showing the tattoo, right? Because a lot of people, right. they get the sleeve, but they wear jean jackets all day. Correct. And so like, that was the Then there's like, when do you wear the t-shirt to show off the hat? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and absolutely correct. And so I got it and I was so proud. And then I wore long sleeves for a year and a half. Or two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and then I went to, and so for a while, for a long time, I only had the one, the one sleeve, like for, for, mm-hmm. I got this sleeve when my son, I think was two and he's nine now. So seven years ago was when I got this and mm-hmm. two, one, whatever, and long enough that it was like, and then I was actually going through job interview processes and it was in the middle of summer. And here I am with like long sleeves and like collared. And I even did, oh my God. So the other thing that I did was I had like my head, like half my head shaved. I don't know if you can tell, but I have like what I call a, th- a third of a head of hair because I have two of my sides shaved and I just have kind of like an overgrown mohawk at the top. And I literally probably for these job interviews, I was going in with my hair parted down the middle and as best I could, like having it look like, yeah, like a bob. Because, which can you imagine how ridiculous I must've looked? I thought I looked so good. I am there with long sleeves in the middle of summer with my, what looked like probably very stringy hair on both sides of my face. Like that made me like, do we want to talk about what unprofessional looks like? I should have just shown up how I looked. Um, But I did all of that to your point, because I was terrified. I was like, what what are they going to think if I have head shave, sleeve tattoo, they're never going to get, I'm never going to get a job. 
Um, so I did get the job. And then after I got the job was like, one day I woke up and I didn't have any long sleeve clean shirts. And I'm like, oh my God. I was like, and all of them smell terribly because again, it was the middle of summer and I'd been sweating through all of them. So I couldn't even grab a dirty one. So I'm like, it's like, okay, we're, here we go. Like, here we go. And I just, I wore a t-shirt and I just showed up to work and it was fine. And I'm like, okay. I was what, like, this yeah. is fine. So like, how were you received? Did anyone say anything? Nobody, was it just you, your own story in your head of like, what would it happen? It was me and my own story in my head about what would happen. Um, and again, people don't actually outwardly ever come to you and go, what's going on with your tattoo? Like it's rare that people <laughs> actually come. Now I say this and then you'd look at my TikTok, you know, like comments and it's like <laughs> plenty of people have things to say about tattoos on, on women. But at the time, nobody said anything. So it was literally all my internalized fear in my head of what's going to happen. What's going to happen. What's going to happen. What's going to happen. So then it became, so, but, but, it, but it became easier to do it. And then I started wearing my hair, not stupidly parted down the middle. I was like, well, let's just see what happens if I, if I were, and nothing happened. And I was like, okay, keep in mind, however, though, I was an independent contributor still at this stage, right? The stakes are lower. The stakes are lower. Um, and so it became, so it's, it's an incremental thing. And I was lucky, I think, in that when I first, I was also working at a startup, which probably also made it easier for me to kind of roll in and do these things, even if it was like, you know, six, seven years ago, it yeah. made it easier. But it, yeah, it was, it was a lot of it was my own internal fear of almost, here's how I think of it. I had been fed the story of where our value and worth comes from so much from external sources from ex from that I had started to believe it for myself. And so even though I had done something that felt very true and real to myself, that felt so empowering that I, I have at times looked down at my skin and been like, cried because I've never felt more comfortable in my own self than I do at this very moment. I had internalized it so much that even though I was willing to admit my own self-worth internally, I was self-sabotaging externally because I was, I had been told so often what my, my look conveyed about my worth and value in a professional corporate setting. Yeah. And I, I think it's so important to, to reiterate that idea of the, the stories that we tell ourselves, whether they be positive stories or negative mm -hmm. stories could you could also be like you could also tell yourself the story in your head of like oh people are gonna love this right it's gonna be beautiful i'm gonna right. get so many compliments but whether it's positive or negative they're all stories that we're making up it's impossible mm -hmm. to predict the future it's right. impossible right so at the end of the day we need to like put ourselves in those uncomfortable situations to get the data back to be like, oh, this is what happens if I do that. And it could be bad, but at least we can then take that and understand how can, like we can practice and get in through therapy or through other things, understand how to have those crucial conversations with our coworkers and all those other things. Mm -hmm. um, that's mm -hmm. really interesting about those layers as far as like, <laughs> I mean, shout out to like you not even doing your laundry and that being the reason. <laughs> right, shout out to my laundry basket. Um, but it's just, yeah, it, and, and to me, I think it's just, it's the stories that we tell ourselves, right? And what I tell folks is so often we don't do things out of fear of what might we might receive, 
right? And it's what I was doing, right? I was wearing the long sleeves and the hair parted down the middle, all of that because of fear of what I might receive back and what if it's negative. But ultimately, I think what we need to remember is if we are ourselves and we show up authentically and what we get back is negative, that is actually the red flag we want to see. That right, is right. actually the red flag we want because if, if us showing up as us is a problem in an environment, an office, a corporation, a club, a group, whatever, we need to know that. We actually want that input because ultimately we can choose one of two things. We can choose to either change it, which is yes, go, or we can choose to remove ourselves from it, which is also noble in self-care, but we can't make that decision until we know what the actual reality is. So when we shield others from our own truth for the sake of our own self-protection, what we are actually doing is potentially setting ourselves up for like sabotage because we like self-sabotage because we are essentially acting as imposters in our own reality, trying to get a perception and an acceptance that ultimately won't be there if we show up as ourselves. It's, it's a big fight, like, and it's real meta, but ultimately you want to know if your true self isn't accepted because then you can only then can you make the actual determination of if you want to stay in that space. Exactly. Like we need those signals in order to make an informed decision. And you can't do that if you keep it. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting too, because you mentioned, (laughs) you mentioned TikTok, which uh, is, you know, I would say it's kind of like a a sample survey of like how the world really feels about you. Right. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I want to. Goddamn. Yes. Well, I want to get into both sides because as much negative comments as you get, I'm sure your DMs are flooded with like positivity as well. And it's TikTok and LinkedIn. But first, let's let's joke a little bit about some of the ridiculous, absurd, doesn't even make sense comments that you get yeah. about your appearance. And then we'll get into the positive because I think it's important to end on that. Absolutely. I think my favorite, so the way that I achieved very my favorite. early, on, my favorite, it is actually, so here's the, well, I could go on to a whole, we could do a whole nother podcast about how trolls are now my best friends. I deeply enjoy getting a troll comment now. Oh, me too. It's, it's instant I, opportunity to make content off of it. Yes. Yeah, I'm like, yes. And my favorite thing to reply and top tip for anybody who wants to be a content creator is you want to know the fastest way to piss off a troll. So number one, make content out of them. But number two, say, I'm so sorry we don't see eye to eye, but thank you for the engagement. The <laughs> second you say, but thank you for the engagement, I mean, you see the flames just come up. It's fantastic. But my favorite thing that, so the way that I rose to very unexpected, uh, what I call minor TikTok stardom early on was I posted a story. Like this was my third video. I posted a story of how I got fired. Um, and the way that I got fired was it completely, by the way, unrelated to how I look, how I, nothing. The story that I told was about how I got fired, which was being lured into a meeting under false pretenses, being fired without reason or cause. That was the story. And the point of the story was there are ways to fire people humanely and there are ways to fire people inhumanely and you can make a choice. It's not an inevitability of which choice are you making. That's ultimately the moral of that story. But what was incredible to me was that what happened the all the trolls almost all the trolls that rolled in there were like well of course you got fired look at your hair well of course i'd fire you too you have tattoos i fired you too look at your ears i have gauges right i have gauges 
And I was like, hold on, wait a minute. Oh, you like missed the, the complete part of the story, everything. Fully, fully. But it was an immediate, like, well, of course you got fired. You have a shaved head. Well, how can you possibly be good at your job? You got sleeve tats. I had no idea that my ability to, co to put together a coherent sentence was predicated on the amount of ink on my skin, right? And it's just, but that was amazing. I'm like, so, <laughs> and that's where it went. And that's when I was like, holy crap, this is what a large swath of the population actually thinks. It hadn't even, like, it was interesting because I had been, I thought about that about myself, like, oh, will people take me seriously if I just, it had never actually occurred to me that a huge amount of the population is out there going, I'd fire you too. I probably wouldn't even hire you. You clearly can't do a job. What's, look at how you look. What? So it was, so yeah, that was, so I got my, I got my, um, my start in trolldom really early on through that. And, and <laughs> now, but to your point, the other thing that happened, which incredibly and wonderfully has actually been much more prevalent and at a much higher percentage have been people who have said, again, they also missed the point of the story because they weren't actually hearing the story, but they were like, oh my God, you were a VP of growth marketing at this company and you, you look like, oh my God. And I like, that's me. Like, I feel like, I, oh my God, or, or people literally didn't even say that, like your tattoos are beautiful. Your hair is amazing. Where did you get your gauges? Like, on the other half of the coin was all of these people who are seeing themselves in me, which is again, why we did the wardrobe change, because it's important to have that visibility. And yes, you're always going to have the terrible workplaces where it's like, we won't even hire you if you have tattoos. Well, good. Cause I don't want to work here if I can't be myself. Exactly. You know, exactly. and, but it's an interesting microcosm of society. I think that's even, it's more, and we, we can talk about, I think I do want to talk about LinkedIn and it's more curated on LinkedIn because people are just a smidge more careful, but it exists in spades there as oh, well. Yeah. Um, and it's become especially apparent because on LinkedIn, it's all about, well, are you professional? Well, are you professional? <laughs> this is a professional networking site. What the hell does that even mean, Chad? What does that mean? <laughs> you know, like, what, like, does professional mean that we only talk about like promotions and what? Cool, we can do that. Or what we can do is embrace the humanity of the people that are actually in the workforce, which, by the way, a lot of them look like me, look like you. Not all of them look like you, Chad. And most of us don't want to look like you. So, but yeah, I get the hate that I get there is interesting because. It's much less than on TikTok. On TikTok, I get like the randomness, um, like everybody, everybody just will send where their anonymous profile. Like I follow three people, I have no videos, but here I am with my hate. On LinkedIn, it's different because people are like, they are, they have their name, they have their profile picture, they have where they work, they have how long they've been there and they're rolling into your comments with like hate about whatever it is that I tick a box on them for, whether it's that I'm brown, whether it's that I'm queer, whether it's that I'm tattooed, and they're like, I'm just pressing the gas pedal with the absolute confidence that they are right. So yeah. right, in fact, that they are staking their own professional reputation mm -hmm. on these, which is wild to me, like, holy bananas, you are writing a check, drawing from the bank of hate, and you're posting it right there for me. look at my receipts i'm hateful what are you doing <laughs> like, what? like why 
why, why are you banking at the bank of bias? What are you doing? <laughs> bank of bias. Yeah, it's, it is, it, it's, it's wild. Um, but I'm, I'm glad you are able to see that it's not all just hate, right? It's not all trolls. Like there is a lot of positivity. And honestly, for me, that's what motivates me. And that's what keeps me going on days when I was like, damn, do I really want to edit this episode? And then someone slided in my DM and was like, wow, I didn't know someone that looked like me could make that much money or do X, mm -hmm. Y, and Z professionally. Right. So mm -hmm. that motivates me and that keeps me going and, and validates the, that the work that I'm doing is so important. Right. To end. What about you though? What inspires you to continue being your most authentic self, especially in the workplace? Knowing, because I have, to your point, I've had that, that verbal verification of by existing as I am, I make space for others to feel like they can be that too. That, that honestly, that is it. It's just, and it's, it's interesting. And I'll say, I'll give one, one shout out to my current employer. So like I said, I, I work at Penguin Random House. You know, if, if you don't know what that is, it's literally the world's largest publisher. And it's, and I have an executive role there and I look like I look, okay? And do you know what people give a crap about when they talk to me? They give a crap about my ideas. Not once has anybody ever. In fact, I get, I get sought out for my ideas and my brain and my contributions. I am validated and supported constantly. And I know, I know that I am in a privileged position because most folks don't have this. I know that, but I believe that everybody should because they deserve it. Everybody deserves to show up in a boardroom, in an office space, in a corporate space and feel seen positively, valued and, and, and welcomed. They deserve that. They deserve to feel how I feel. And the thing about it is that's why I keep being visible. And that's why I'm not gonna stop making noise outside of work about this. Because to me, before, before I had this job, I always kind of was like, what, is what I'm asking for really existing? Like, can I actually, like, I'm fighting for systemic change in corporate America. I am fighting for inclusion. I am fighting for vulnerability and leadership. I am fighting for psychologically safe spaces where people can show up and feel seen and valued and cared for. It does, but does that really exist or is this just a pipe dream? And now I am in that space. I have a role in that space, a high one. And so to me, I can literally, every time somebody tells me, no, what you're doing doesn't exist. I'm like, hold my earrings because, or hold my plugs because I can show you that it does because I live it. And if it, if it exists and I live it, that means it's a choice people can make, corporations can make. And if it doesn't exist, that's a choice they're making in the, in the other direction. And do you really want to be there? Do you really want to be in an, an uninclusive space? But that's why that to me, that's what matters is I will continue to show up because my existence in a space that is as rarefied as the one that I inhabit in a corporate way gives visibility and voice and credence to the fact that we can exist. We are valued. We can be professional because of what we contribute and our skills, not because of how we look.
Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Quintuetas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you. I see you next week.